Siota Ofa, and welcome to the seventh episode of the Tokyo Kamea podcast. This is your host, Richard. Thank you for joining us, and let's start the show. Let's recap the story thus far up to episode 6. In the last episode, we learned it's been two years since Mariner arrived in Tonga. The year is 1808, 11 years since the assassination of Tuku'aho by Tupo Niua and his conspirators. Since the assassination, Finau Ulkalala had firm control of Hapai and Mava'u. However, taking Tongatapu would prove to be much more difficult because that was the home base of the Tuikanokpolu, which Tuku'aho was the title holder at the time of his death and the many clans that supported him. For 11 years, Ulkalala tried to take control of Tongatapu but never succeeded. Ulkalala sees an opportunity to change the tides of war when the Port-au-Prince enters Tongan waters in 1806 and the crew and the captain were completely unaware that they were wading into a brutal civil war. Armed with the Port-au-Prince's powerful carronades and muskets, along with mariners and the surviving Englishmen's experience in operating these weapons of war, Ulkalala and his allies make way for Tongatapu and lay siege to the Nukualofa fort. They completely destroy the fort in one hour. That's all it took, one hour. And defending the fort was Tupo Malohi. He was the 16th Tuikanokpolu. You only had one job, dude, one job. Interestingly, uh, Tupo Malohi was the brother of Tukuaho. Ulkalala returns to Ha'apai because of the Fagalahi ceremony in which he had an important ceremonial role. And we learn about the Fagalahi ceremony, its purpose, the elaborate and magnificent 50 to 60 feet towers built as receptacles for Ufi, topped with Puaka, and these were food offerings to the Tuitonga, Beasi'i, who was the son of the Tuitonga Fefine, also to Fina Ulkalala, and also for the gods. So while they were all there for uh, the Fagalahi in Ha'apai, the Tuitonga proposes to Ulukalala that they proceed with a prearranged marriage to Ulukalala's daughter. And Ulukalala agrees and the wedding is held five days later. Okay, I have to make a correction here. I did further research on this. And um, the Tuitonga's name is not mentioned in the book, but apparently this was the son of Tupo Moheofo and the Tuitonga Pau, and his name was uh, Fua Nunu Iava. And it wasn't the oldest daughter of Fina Ulkalala that he married. It was the second daughter of one of his wives, and I couldn't find out who that wife was because he had several. I think he had four. And I believe this daughter came from the fourth wife, and her name is Popua. But the name of her mother is, I can't find it. So if anyone else has that knowledge, uh, please pass it on. But can we just pause and talk about the wise words of the Matabule who admonished all the young men to be respectful to the young women and do not rape and do not force them to do anything they do not consent to? Ancient Tonga was way ahead of the hashtag MeToo movement. That episode was uh, just a nice respite from all the war and everything that happened in that crazy action-packed episode 5.
And let's continue on with episode seven. It's always the good ones that have to die. So the fala is over. The wedding happened. Everybody's happy, and time has passed. A new character enters the picture.、Uh, this is the character known as Dupotoa, and it's not that、um, Dupotoa actually has always been around behind the scenes, and he was very active. In other parts of uh, uh, events that we have already discussed in the book, it's just that this time in the book, this is when Mariner brings him up for the first time. For those of you that are following the book, you'll see that、uh, Mariner doesn't recount the events because、um, you have to remember this is an account of his time in Tonga, recorded much when he was much older, and so、uh, the stories and the events are not always in chronological order. Dupotoa, we find out Mariner mentions that he was actually there、uh, when they captured the Porto Prince. Dupotoa is also the son of the assassinated Tukuaho, and there's a blood connection he has to Finaulukaa. He and Tupotoa have the same mother, and so in Tongan we call this relationship Uho Taha, U H O Taha, Uho Taha, same mother, different fathers, and then two brothers who have the same father but different mothers are called Uho Tau, which describes the relationship of Finau Ulkalala and Tupotoa. So I hope you all caught that、uh, Finau Ulkalala and Tupotoa are half brothers. They have the same mother and different fathers. And then Finau Ulkalala and Tupouniua have the same father but different mothers. That's just how they rolled in ancient Tonga. Tupouniua was made the governor of Avau, while、uh, Tupoutoa was made the governor of Hapai. So let's learn a little bit about this character Tupoutoa. This is how Mariner describes him. He was a man of not quite so brave and disinterested a spirit as Tupouniua. He partook rather on the character of Finau. With a little more ferocity, but not quite the depth of policy. Tupotoa knew well that he will have no chance of success against such a strong power as that of Finau. He therefore joined him, and so as he joins、uh, Finau Ulkalala in his cause,、uh, Mariner notices a few of the following things.、Uh, Tupotoa is constantly whispering into the ear of Finau Ulkalala, basically, basically talking shit about Tupouniua. And he puts into the head of Fina Ulkalala the the idea that Tupouniua is like always plotting against him. He tells him that Tupouniua is、um, shouldn't be over or isn't worthy of governing Vavau and all its resources and richness and beauty. And he insinuates that Tupouniua isn't offering sufficient tribute to him. So, therefore, he is disrespecting. A man of Ulukalala stature and superior rank, and、um, and that Tupouniua is so loved by the people of Avau and they're so loyal to him that they might try to just take power away from Fina Ulukalala, and that's and he keeps going Tupouniua when、um, when they were apparently when they were planning the attack on the Nukualofa fort,、um, he wanted he or he pointed out to Fina Ulukalala that Tupouniua was always undermining him. Or、uh, second-guessing their plans for attacking the fort. Do we all see what's coming? Do we all see it? I predict death flags for Tupouniua, and this makes me so sad because eventually he proposes to Finaulukalala that Tupouniua must be assassinated.
Mariner then gives us some uh, deeper insights into Finau Ulukalala's character. He says, Finau's character must all along be kept in view. He was a man of a deep and designing spirit, always willing to favor any conspiracy that promised to advance his interests, but exceedingly cautious how he let anybody know his intentions, even the party that proposed it. He always conducted himself with such admiral policy that no one, not even his most intimate acquaintance, could dive thoroughly into his projects. Now, Mariner contrasts Finau Ulukalala's character with that of his half-brother Tuponiwa. He says, Tuponiwa, on the contrary, was a truly brave man and upon the whole of an undesigning and exceedingly liberal mind. For though he had proposed and perpetrated the assassination of Tuku'aho, it was believed to be not so much to avenge his own personal wrongs as those of his country. Often he expressed to me the extent and nature of his feelings on occasion, how he regretted that so many beautiful and innocent women should be sacrificed at the same time that they might not spread alarm, yet how strongly felt that the liberty of his country was that moment in power, while the desire of avenging its wrong was like a raging thirst that overpowered every other sensation. No sooner was that blow struck that he saved all he could save, a little child of three years old, which he bore away in his arms from the scene of the slaughter. The liberality of his mind will appear also from the answers he made to those sometimes suggested to him that Finau was not his brother and that he should always arm himself around him. Finau, he said, is my brother, my superior chief, the king of these islands, and I pay him tribute as a servant. If he has any reasons to be dissatisfied with my conduct, my life is at his disposal, and he is welcome to take it, for it is better to die than to live innocent, and yet be thought capable of treachery. Besides, I will not arm myself against a power to which, as long as a country is well governed, it is my duty to submit. Okay, can we just stop and talk about the character of this outstanding man named Tuponiwa and talk about uh, just, you know, moral character, integrity, putting the needs of his people and his country before his own life. And just from his example, I really think about, um, you know, the difference between loyalty and integrity, because I know a lot of us, you know, we're all so about being loyal. But in my opinion, I think integrity will always trump loyalty. And I say that because if you think back to, well, look at our current administration here in the United States with Trump. I was going to go back to the days of uh, the Nazi party and the rise of the Third Reich to power and Hitler, but I don't need to dig back that, you know, that far back in the past because this kind of autocracy and fascism is happening right now in our very own country where we have this president who is uh, violated the constitution so many times. So many of his cabinet members have been sentenced to prison for fraud and all other kinds of violations. And he is still able to do this because we have um, a Senate who just refuses to do the right thing. Okay, so when I'm talking about loyalty and I'm talking about integrity, this is what I'm talking about. Loyalty, uh, many people were loyal to Hitler. And that's why he got away with the shit that he did. And many people are loyal to Trump and that's why he's getting away with the things that he is. And I would rather be surrounded by people who have integrity because they will always be true. Those are true friends. Okay. So those of you that are running around and you're all about being loyal, uh, overrated, 
that is completely overrated. Surround yourself with people who have integrity. People like the Boniwa. People with integrity will tell you the truth always. And people who are loyal will tell you what you want to hear. Okay, end of my personal and political rant. Okay, now back to the story. So Tuponiu and his party from Ava'u were making their preparations to return. And uh, Tupotoa was making his move as he didn't want to miss out on this opportunity. And apparently prior to joining Ulukalala's party, he swore an oath that he will never drink from a new mata or a green coconut until he avenges the death of his father. And now he has an unsuspecting Tuponiwa within his reach and also the silent, passive consent of Finau Ulukalala. Mariner says, He had harbored his sentiments of revenge for so long within his breast. So he's held onto this for 11 years and he is looking for the right moment to strike. Merner says, Fina Ulkalala's feelings were not very far from that of the Botoa. He chose to remain by this means the spectator rather than the actor in the scene, as to avoid, if possible, the odium of being an accomplice of murder of so brave and a good man. What a f- fucking weasel. Okay, so two times now we've seen Fina Ulkalala indirectly involved in the murders of two close people to him. Okay. The first was Tuku Aho, and he didn't get involved because Tupotoa is his half-brother. They have the same mother, but different fathers, and Tuku Aho was Tupotoa's father. And now we have the plot to assassinate his other half-brother, Tuponiwa, who we uh, said in earlier in the podcast that they have uh, the same father, but different mothers. And both times, Finao Urukalala is choosing to just stand on the side like he's some kind of an innocent bystander and wasn't involved in plotting their deaths. Mariner says, A few days later in the evening and before sunset, Finao Urukalala invited myself and his daughter to Mahina Fekite in Pangai to consult an old chief by the name of Tokemoana. Finao usually carries with him a large whaling knife. The blade was two feet long and three inches wide. On this occasion, he didn't take his knife. So Mariner asked him if he should carry his knife for him, and he told him no, he doesn't need his knife, and so Mariner walks behind him, and then his daughter follows, and then their attendants follow. And as they're walking to Mahina Fekite, uh, they walk by a pool, and Finao Urukalala decides to stop and take a bath. He sends an attendant to fetch Tuponiwa to come to him, and Tuponiwa arrives just when he is done bathing, and so they proceed to walk and they arrive at Tokemoana's residence. And Finao Ulkalala and Tuponiwa enter. Um, Finao Ulkalala's daughter follows and then Mariner follows. And he is engaged in a conversation with the daughter's attendant while the other ones are meeting. But then Tupotoa arrives and he comes with four other men. So Tupotoa and his four men arrive, and Mariner notices something odd. The four men, uh, they take the sail, the mast, and the spritz of a small canoe, and Finau's daughter's attendant asks them why they were doing that, and they replied to her that they were ordered by Tupotoa to prepare a canoe. Two hours later, Finau emerges from the residence, followed by his daughter and Tuponiwa, and they pass Mariner, and he joins them along with the daughter's attendant. 
Mariner notes that it was now nighttime and it was dark, and just as they passed the outer fence, Dupotoa and his four men rushed out from their hiding place, and they started to assault Duponiwa. Mariner writes, The first blow of the club struck his shoulder. It was intended for his head, but they missed. Oya we finau deu mate, Duponiwa screams. Finau, I am going to die. And now his back is pinned up against the fence. Finau makes a faint attempt to defend him. Oya we guo mate tangata. Or he's saying, Oh no, this noble chief is dead. He then pretends to run towards Duponiwa, but two of Dupotoa's men restrain him. And poor Duponiwa, he has nothing to defend himself with. He wards off the blows of the clubs with his hands and his arms until his bones are broken, which made him unable to defend himself any further. Okay, I posted pictures of these clubs, the Bovai, on uh, the Instagram page for the podcast. And these are like some heavy-ass clubs made of, of toa. And so we talked about toa in previous episodes. It's one of the strongest uh, wood on the planet. So imagine like being beaten with a baseball bat and you have nothing to defend yourself with. And so you are just like holding up your arms and your hands trying to defend like your head and... Um, and in the process, your bones are just being crushed and broken as you are absorbing the blows from, from a bat. I imagine it would be something very similar to that, if not worse. Mariner continues, A blow struck Duponiwa on the head which made him stagger. Another knocked him down, and he was beaten until there were no signs of life from him and for some time after. A young warrior steps forward, and his name is Latu Ila. His father was a victim of an alleged conspiracy by Duponiwa, so he came to also exact his revenge. He struck the dead body of Duponiwa several times and exclaimed, You have been long enough the chief of Ava'u, living in ease and luxury, murderer of my father. I would have declared my sentiments long ago if I could have depended on others to second me. Not that I fear death by making thee my enemy, but the vengeance of my chief Duponiwa, was first to be satisfied and it was a duty I owed the spirit of my father to preserve my life as possible that I might have the satisfaction to see you like stinking dead. He then strikes Duponiwa's dead body with his club several more times. Mariner at first thought it was Finau Ulukalala that was attacked and he ran to his assistance but he was also held back and pinned to the fence by some of the other men and now it all made sense to him. The men were preparing the canoe for their escape Fina Ulukalala's daughter and her attendants, they were all just screaming hysterically. And all Mariner could do was just look at his friend, uh, Duponiwa, who he had admired, laying there with his lifeless body, brutally battered. After that, Finau's men, 200 strong, arrived 10 minutes later. Fina Ulukalala orders one of his men to go to the temporary camp where the Vava'u people were staying on the shore to tell them to board their canoes. And then he tells them to send their chiefs, send the Vava'u chiefs to him. But as he barely finishes giving the order, one of his adopted sons stepped forward and struck his club on the ground and said, Why do you sit there idle? Why do you not rouse yourself and your men to avenge the death of the fallen hero? If it had been your lot to have sunk thus beneath the clubs of your enemies, would he have hesitated to have sacrificed his life for your revenge? How great a chief he was! And how sadly he died. 
Okay, listeners, this is what integrity looks like. This is integrity. Mariner says, The affection of the Vava'u people for their chief was great, but they thought the present a very disadvantageous opportunity to seek revenge. They were in part in the country where their enemies would be too numerous, their canoes would perhaps be taken from them, and their retreats cut off. So they immediately obeyed Finau Urukalala's orders, and the Vava'u chiefs came to Finau Urukalala as he ordered. When they arrived, they sat before him, their heads bowed down in dejection and utter sadness. Merner says, Finau, in his usual style of artful eloquence, made a speech in which he positively declared his innocence of the murder and his ignorance of its having about to take place. He acknowledged that Tupoto'a confided in him his intentions and asked his assistance, which he promised, but he made the promise without intending to fulfill it, thinking to satisfy him for a time while buying time to dissuade him or do something to prevent it. And while he was speaking, his wives and their attendants, who he sent for, came and sat down behind him. And then he ended his speech. There was half an hour of utter silence. No one dared to say anything. Then they rose and Finau ordered that they follow him to his house. As they passed Uponiwa's body, he ordered it be lifted up and carried before him. When they arrived at the house, the body was laid down on the outside and washed with a mixture of oil and water by Mariner and one of Finau Ulukalala's wives because no one offered to do it due to the tapu of touching a dead body of a chiefly person. Mariner writes, No person can touch a dead chief without being tabooed or tapu for 10 lunar months except for chiefs who are only tabooed for 3, 4, or 5 months according to the superiority of the dead chief. Except again it be the body of the Tuitonga and then even the greatest chief would be tabooed 10 months. During that time a man is tabooed, he must not feed himself with his own hands but must be fed by someone else. He must not even use a toothpick himself, but must be guided by another person's hand holding the toothpick. If he is hungry and there is no one to feed him, he must go down upon his hands and knees and pick up his victuals with his mouth. And if he infringes upon any of these rules, it is firmly expected that he will swell up and die. This belief is so strong that I think no native ever made an experiment to prove the contrary. They often saw me feed myself with my hands after having touched dead chiefs, and not observing my health to decline. They attributed it to my being a foreigner and being governed by different gods. Finau's wife did not mind it because she was already tabooed from having touched the dead body of the late Tuitonga nine months before and had consequently got accustomed to the inconveniences of it. I did not hesitate to do this last office to my friend because I had no superstitious fears of the consequences of not submitting to the taboo. The body being washed was brought into the house, laid on a large bale of ngatu, and anointed with sandalwood oil. Tuponiwa's wives, four in number, now came in to mourn over the dead body of their departed chief. They entered beating their breasts and faces, and screaming with all the agony and agitations of mad women. They sat down close round the corpse, and in the most dismal strain began singing, Oya we kuoke mate, oya we mau maue, oya we seuke. They repeated these verses over and over again without any order during the whole night, frequently beating their breasts and their faces, making exclamations regarding themselves as to what would become of them now that they have lost their great chief and protector, and with him all their happiness and comfort. The house was lit up by lamps with coconut oil. 
About 150 persons were present, among whom were Finau and myself. We stayed the whole night. Finau's wives retired to rest. I deeply felt on my mind the depressing influence of those sorrowful lamentations. The poor, unfortunate women at intervals only sobbed and mourned for a time, then broke out loudly as before, till by degrees the voice growing weak sunk into a hoarse murmur. And if all the powers of the soul were fast declining under a weight of anguish, never to rise again, then a heart-rending exclamation of sorrow from one spread its contagion to all the rest, and thus was the whole night spent in lamentations for the death of a good and great man, who, as far as human judgment can determine, was unjustly accused and undeservedly sacrificed. The chiefs and the warriors of Finau Ulukalala were expecting retaliation at any moment from Tuponiwa and the people of Avau. However, for the remainder of the night, everything remained quiet. The following morning, Finau Ulukalala ordered for the body to be carried on board a canoe with him to proceed to the island of Uiha, and this was done. And they set sail, sixty or seventy other canoes following, with the Vavau people. And when they arrived at Uiha, a grave was opened for Tuponiwa. And this was the Faitoka, or the cemetery of his ancestors, and his body was deposited in the presence of all who came in the canoes, besides a considerable number of the natives of the island. Then Mariner gives a description of the Faitoka. He says, "The Faitoka is a burying place, including the grave, the mound in which it is sunk, and a sort of shed built over it. The grave of a chief's family is a vault." Lined at the bottom with one large stone, one at each side, and one at the foot and head, and is about eight feet long, six feet broad, and eight feet deep, covered at the top with one large stone. As soon as the corpse was let down into the grave, one of those who had assassinated him, Siulua, a great warrior and a powerful man, advanced forward into the middle of the circle, brandishing his club, and addressed the Vavau people to the following effect. If there be any among you harboring secret thoughts of revenge, keep them no longer buried in your bosom, meditating plans of future insurrection. But come now forth and fight me on the spot, for by sacrificing me you will revenge his death. I am the man who acted a principal part in his death. Come on, then, one and all, and wreak your vengeance on my head. Nobody, however, accepted this challenge. Not but there were many Vavau chiefs who would willingly have done it, had they not thought better to reserve themselves to effect a future and more signal vengeance. The stone was now put over the grave, and the company dispersed. Damn, that is like some frontier justice in old Tonga. That is some crazy shit, y'all. Crazy. Mariner writes during this time, in consequence of Finau's orders, every circumstance was attended to that might prevent an insurrection. On the part of the Vavau warriors, the four carronades which Vavau had brought with him were drawn up before the fencing, in which he meant to reside during his stay. The Vavau people were forbidden to carry any offensive weapons, while those of Hapai were ordered to be under arms and to keep themselves on the alert. Three days after the funeral ceremony, 
Final Ulkalala summoned a private meeting in his presence of the chiefs of Ha'apai and those of Ava'u, where they swore allegiance to Finau with their hands, placed upon a consecrated bowl, while Kawa was being mixed in it, invoking the god Tu'ifua Pulotu, to whom the bowl was consecrated, and praying him to punish them with untimely death if they should afterwards break their vow or harbor any thoughts to that intent. The bowl is held consecrated because it is kept on purpose to make Kawa in, for the ceremonies of the god Tu'ifua Pulotu and used on no other occasion. If a great chief takes an oath, he swears by the god, laying his hand upon the consecrated bowl. If an inferior chief takes an oath, he swears by his superior relation, who of course is a greater chief and lays his hand upon his feet. The kava was then shared out, and the Vaba'u chiefs henceforth were to consider Toe'umu, which is Finau Ulukalala's aunt, as their lawful chief and to pay respect to her as such at the kava ceremonies. And they accordingly promised all due submission and obedience to their newly appointed chief, after which the assembly rose up and dispersed to their respective houses. The next day, Finau Ulukalala and his people returned to Lifuka, and shortly after that, all the Baba'u people, except some of the higher-ranking Matapules uh, of the late Tuponiwa, stayed behind. So two weeks later, a canoe arrives from Baba'u, and it was with uh, a Matapule, uh, 30 or 40 men, and these were people who were loyal to Finau Ulukalala, and they brought some news for him. So when the Vava'u people got back to Vava'u, they all got together and they had a meeting with Doi'umu, who is now the new governor of Vava'u, and they decided that they were going to free themselves of Finau Ulukalala and be independent of him. Toreumu was friends with uh, Tuponiwa. They were very close. Uh, it seemed like they had a very uh, close, respectful relationship. She consulted with the chiefs of Vava'u as to what they should do with Finau Ulukalala and also with Vava'u. And so as they were meeting and consulting with uh, each other, one of Toreumu's sisters steps forward into the middle of the assembly and she is armed with a club and a spear. Mariner writes, with a loud voice, she asked why they hesitated so long in an affair in which honor clearly pointed out the only proper path to pursue. But, she added, if the men are turned women, the women shall turn men and revenge the death of their murdered chief. Let then the men stand idly looking on, and when we women are sacrificed in the glorious cause, the example may perhaps excite them to fight and die in the same spirited endeavor to support and defend their rights. The warlike declaration of this heroine roused the chiefs into a state of activity, and they speedily came to a resolution to build a large and strong fortress, and to put themselves in a state of defense against any incursions that Finau might make upon them, or rather, which Tupoutoa might spur him on to make. The fortress was the largest that was ever known in Tonga to be, in short, a fortified town capable of holding all the inhabitants of Ava'u, about 8,000 people. And this fortress was built in the village of Feletoa. Now here's the cool thing. My grandmother, this is my maternal grandmother, my mom's mom, uh, her family comes from Mataika, which is like the village next door to Feletoa. And then her sister lived in Feletoa. And so one of my memories as a kid, my uh, dad was a teacher and an administrator at Saneha High School in um, Neafu. And so... 
we um, he took his some of his athletes because he was also a rugby coach, and we went to Feletoa in between Feletoa and Mataika to clear some brush, and so we were in like a very um, heavily forested area, like canopies, you know, these trees just everywhere, and there was. This is what I remember from my childhood. There was an area where they told us not to go to. And we were just told not to go there because it's haunted. And it wasn't until I was older that I learned that this was where this fort stood. Um, And like the foundation of the fort is still in that area. But, uh, you know, the trees and brush and all that stuff had claimed it. So anyway, so the Vava'u people are now, uh, you know, fortifying, uh, making preparations for war with Finao Ulukalala. Mariner then goes on to describe the fort, which is kind of like what he did with the Nukualofa fort. Uh, it's, it's very boring, it's very dry. So if you want to read that, that's in the book. But here's a fascinating character. Mariner writes, Among a great deal of information which the old Matapule communicated was that respecting the bravado of a Vava'u warrior who declared his utter contempt of the guns. It is customary for every professed warrior before he goes to battle or expects the coming of an enemy to give himself the name of some one particular person whom he means to single out and fight. This warrior, however, instead of assuming the name of one of the enemy, proudly called himself Me'afana Fonua, literally, gun of the country, and declaring that he would run boldly up to a cannon and throw his spear into the mouth of it. So the Matapule finishes his report to Finau Urukalala of what was happening in Wawa'u. And of course, Finau Urukalala is pissed. And he starts to make preparations for war in Wawa'u. So what did you think of that episode? I thought this was one of the greatest uh, parts of the book, uh, just really delving into a very interesting character studies of three different people. We have Tuponiwa, we have Tupotoa, and then we have Finau Urukalala. Finau Urukalala is just demonstrating that he is a very shrewd and very calculating uh, always looking for opportunities that are advantageous to him and to his ambitions. And he would fuck anybody over, his own brothers, uh, to attain whatever it is, whatever the end goal is. And so we see on two occasions he was part of orchestrating uh, the murders of two different people. Uh, but kind of keeping and maintaining a distance from it so that people don't think that he was directly involved. Uh, But he was very much involved. And then we have this interesting character of Tupoutoa, and Tupoutoa harboring uh, revenge for 11 years. 11 years he has just been holding on to this desire to avenge the death of his father Tukuaho and he finally gets his moment with the support of Finau Urukalala although Finau Urukalala was one of the co-conspirators of his father's death and then we have the honorable Dupo Niwa such a man of integrity he seems to have a lot of compassion he truly loves his country and his countrymen 
and country women and uh and then just you know he's such a good guy he never thought his uh, or even doubted second guess that his own brother would actually try to kill him we need more duponiwas in the world they're very rare very rare to find people who would do the right thing if he had a flaw it was that he was too honor bound to his uh, morals and his convictions i want to add something you know um when i was prepping for this episode uh, that part where you know where they murdered him but the response of the babao people okay i totally felt that i felt that so much and it was so weird because i was sitting in the cafe um the, my little local cafe here that i like to go to and and i was like in tears reading that part because i totally as a person who uh, grew up in Vava'u and you know being around Vava'u people there's just something special about Vava'u and um, and the smallness of it and how it brings us all together and there's like a connection in Vava'u that um, there's just very unique I think anyone who grew up in Vava'u is from Vava'u knows what I'm talking about another cool thing I want to mention is that now that we are so deep into the book I'm starting to recognize family names uh, names that still exist today that go back to this era in the book but even like back further and it is so interesting to me just to know how all these names have been passed on and I think a lot of you who um, carry these names today I, I wonder how many of you are even aware of you know the history of your names the richness of your names and the places and the people that the names that you carry connect them to another thing too i'm i'm really enjoying in this book is just uh seeing some powerful women emerge from this story and so we've already heard of dupo mojeofo and um you know even she even though she was before mariner but she's still connected to um the mariner story because her son fua nunuyava was uh married to one of Finau Urukalala's daughters. So that's in Mariner's timeline when he's in Tonga. She gets a bad rap for being a schemer. You know, if you read all of the um, all of the writings about her, a lot of them are academic papers. Um, the reputation that is portrayed of her is that she, you know, was scheming. And I just don't see that. I see a person and I mentioned this in a in uh, one of our previous podcasts. She's doing her duty to preserve traditions, you know, lines of succession. And so um, I don't see anything wrong with that. Now we see another character by the name of Toi Umu. Uh, Toi Umu is the, a chiefess in Vava'u. And so we're going to be learning more about her as Fina Urukalala goes to war in Vava'u against Toi Umu and her chiefs. And then how about her sister that was just like calling everybody out, basically uh, calling them a bunch of wimps. And she was ready to fight too. So talk about female empowerment. Okay, so that's the end of this episode. Uh, I will be putting out another uh, Q&A 
and also just uh, some information that I want to include. Uh, there are some things that Mariner includes in his book. I didn't want to get into it at that time because I felt like it takes away from the story. So I want to just address some of those things. Also, I'm uh, getting more information just from other sources that I want to add um, to the podcast. And I want to add a feature. I want to ask you guys a question and I want you all, if you can, please respond to it. But in the previous episodes, we see this ritual where warriors run up with their clubs and they pound it on the ground and then they declare the name of the enemy who will meet their end with this club. So my question for you is if there is one thing, if you had a club and if there's one thing on this earth that you could eradicate with your club, what would it be? For me, uh, because it is Black History Month, ending at the end of February, it would definitely be anti-blackness and adding to that white supremacy. I would write that on the club and then I would pound it on the ground and then I would find it and kill it. Okay, that's the end of the episode. Thank you so much for listening. I want to give a shout out to a few of our listeners. You guys are way too awesome. These are ones who have sent me dms or emailed me um i totally love and appreciate you all so shout out goes to here goes the list cecilia matoto taucapo who is umkisia 89 on instagram and dietrich soakai sione faletau manava omoana also known as alicitulua thank you so much and by the way if you have not checked out her episode with For the Cultures, um, where she talks about the census, I highly recommend that you go listen to it. Okay. Uh, Melaya, who is Mela on Instagram. Uh, Viola C. Fonua Johansson, who is Fahu Os. Os- well, let me try that again. Fahu Osaute. Ooh, the Fahu of the South. Is that what, who you are? Love that name. Um, Similiti Christine Lealiki, who is Liti underscore Savage on uh, instagram stevie tuikolovatu oh my cousin this is my halafuli cousin nela otuafi uh, kalani hafoka kalesita i don't know what your last name is i just looked at your ig and you have that uh, one name maybe it's kind of like you know like share or madonna uh, daniel hernandez hey thank you so much for listening uh, david tuipulotu of course my cousin ray ray in the bay love you ray ray and um of course, I have to give a shout out to my cousin Duponiwa. Duponiwa is named after Duponiwa. So, hey, Duponiwa, this is for you. And I apologize if I am missing anybody out there, but I will catch you on the next one. But then uh, my last shout out goes out to Too Tall because uh, Too Tall, thank you for listening. Uh, in a previous episode, I played a song. It was the. Uh, it's a tongue in you know kind of like a farewell song and so i played it i believe it was at the end of second episode when uh fina ulkalala and all his men attacked and killed most of the crew on the port prince and so i played this tongue in song and i'm laughing because to talk uh my dear friend calls me and she's like why did you play that song for them so mau maui that song and uh thank you for calling me out to talk because you are so right i should have played something like taps for them or i don't know one of them balangi hymns but i think i'm gonna play this song for 
This will be our send-off song for the honorable, the compassionate, the courageous, trustworthy, dutiful, integrous, nurturing, and I would even dare say a warrior of social justice, Tupo Niwa. Thank you all for listening. And uh, follow us on the Instagram page. And we will catch you on the next episode.